from Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C. This is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to Distilled D.C., a mini-series from Hamilton Place Strategies HPS Insights, focused on how communicators distill complexity. I'm your guest host, Stratton Curtin, filling in for Andrea Christensen. I'm a managing director here at HPS, where I specialize in energy and environmental issues and coalition building. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Natasha Dabrowski. Natasha is the communications director and senior advisor for one of the most influential groups in the U.S. House of Representatives, the New Democrat Coalition, a.k.a. I will be calling them New Dems from now on. The coalition is made up of 94 House Democrats who are committed to pro-economic growth, pro-innovation, and fiscal responsibility. Natasha has served in her role now for five years. Previously, Natasha was an associate here at HPS, where she specialized in digital innovation for a number of clients. Natasha, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stratton. And thank you to Andrea also for inviting me to join today. (laughs) All right. So to start off, you've been in your current role with the New Dems now for five years. How has your role evolved over that time? And what are your current areas of focus? When I first started with the New Dems, I started as press secretary for the coalition, and I got hired to sort of oversee the day-to-day communications operations when it was looking at press releases, writing, um, booking members, pitching interviews, and prepping members for interviews, and of course, tweeting a lot. (laughs) It was um, something that I was told upon starting to sort of be prepared to hit the ground running. And in my first week on the job, I was on C-SPAN running my first ever uh, special order hour after learning what a special order hour was (laughs) on day one of my job. So I didn't quite realize that to become a first class learner, I had to learn what that was, write and edit and get approval for speeches and also learn how to run up the very slippery steps of the Marvel steps all across the Capitol and heels all at once. But I have learned a lot in um, starting that role. And I am happy to say I survived that first week. That was a very rapid start to what is now a very developed role on the Hill. I now serve as comms director and senior advisor, which means that I've turned this uh, press secretary role into more of a strategic communications role. Mm In my time in the coalition, the coalition has doubled in size, which is pretty crazy to think about. We had over 100 members last Congress and are at 94 now. So are a very sizable group, especially in this notable Congress where moderates make up a key faction in the coalition. And so not only am I doing the day-to-day communications and overseeing now a communications team, but I'm also helping strategize on the sort of digital space, the ad space, and all that goes into the broader coalition building piece of the policy aspect. I've also gotten to uh, dip my toes in some of the policy work and do fellowships in my spare time outside of work so I can broaden my policy focus from what we used to focus on, which was more on economy, trade, and tech to also look at healthcare and Mm -hmm. climate change and everyone's favorite bipartisan topic, infrastructure. (laughs) It's also given me a chance to partner with other companies and do a lot of stakeholder outreach and put on trainings, put on briefings for our members, whether it's looking at digital ad space, which is ever-changing in the political and advocacy space, (laughs) or doing media training for members to make sure that they are polished and TV ready. So it has definitely evolved over the years and every day is different, which is what I love about the role. That's excellent. And I have to imagine it's challenging um, 
juggling dozens of members, um, you know, when normally in a Hill office, you're working around one, which has its own challenges. Absolutely. While we have a chair and a leadership structure of 10 members that I work most closely with, every day is different because I'm often dealing with different members from different geographic and now time zones, which is a tricky <laughs> thing during COVID. And I think that that has been a benefit in I can look at different things through a different lens, write in different voices, which is a huge talent that I've honed over just a lot of experience and a lot of floor speeches in one minute. But I think that that has allowed me to really take every day, um, not for granted, but enjoying it and uh, make sure that I can strategize in different ways too, because every district is so different that I'm working with. And sometimes it's a deep blue district, sometimes it's more purple and red. And so that means different things for the communication strategy as well, which has been really challenging, but a great opportunity. Absolutely. Um, well, taking a step away from the house to the White House. So the Biden administration is obviously still relatively new, but even in this short time, can you talk about what has changed in terms of priorities for the new Dems now that there's a member of the Democratic Party in the White House? It has been such a breath of fresh air. And I don't say that just because my Friday Shabbat dinners were always ruined from the massive Friday news dumps from the last four, four years, but also because I started during the Obama administration. So I had a taste of what a more normal news cycle was like. And now being able to work with President Biden and Vice President Harris, it has been just a welcome change, not only because we have a Democrat in the White House, but because we're also working with the most diverse White House and administration staff in history. And I even got to take leave from New Dems last cycle after volunteering a lot in mm -hmm. my free time to work on the campaign, which gave mm -hmm. me a lot of connections and a lot of insight on the operation, but also the campaign message and what the goals would be of the coming administration. So I've been able to hit the ground running in a personal capacity, but also through work in working together instead mm -hmm. of just putting on meetings for PR stunts and actually having an interest in good faith to, to move things forward. So one of the most notable things as of late is the American Rescue Plan, which is a bill that New Dems have been able to shape because we've had genuine meetings through the transition through inauguration day and till it getting passed through the house once and a second mm -hmm. time with a lot of New Dem provisions. That's because New Dems were one of the first caucuses that the White House met with. And it went really positively because it was a genuine policy conversation about how to get immediate relief to Americans. And that is so empowering. And it's not to be taken lightly. It's a big deal that we get to work on some very massive pieces of legislation so early on that there is full alignment with and actually get things through the finish line instead of having political gamesmanship that affects so many different aspects of the House and the Senate procedures. It's been such a, a breath of fresh air to be able mm -hmm. to actually have genuine conversations about the path forward. And I'm hopeful there will be more of that. That is just one example. But New Dems have already been able to talk about the future COVID bills, the future of infrastructure and other key priorities in good faith. We have good relationships already with a lot of the administration officials that are still going through the confirmation process. And though COVID I think has affected the timeline of mm -hmm. some of those positions being filled out, we have full alignment and that is really rare. Uh, we had so many open administration posts and 
so much transition and turnover in the last four years, even though there was always this tension. So the fact that we have partners that we can already start working with is such a, such a change. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will be a really key space for new devs to continue to work across so many different issues. One of the things about an ideological caucus is that there's not one single issue that we will always be focusing on. There are a lot of aspects to issues that we want to find an innovative and a pragmatic and a fiscally responsible solution for. Mm-hmm. So there will be a lot of areas where we can hopefully work together. Right. So not just revisiting old issues, but finding new solutions to old problems. Exactly. Great. So you've been with the New Dems now for five years. Um, what would you say during that time has been your biggest, most complex communications challenge and how did you handle that? That is a very good and tough question. There are so many different aspects, as I mentioned, that we touch in terms of policy and communicating a clear and concise message with nuanced policies in a constantly changing government and media market is really tough. When the media market rewards infighting and extreme partisan coverage, depending on your network, I suppose, that's a really that's a really tough landscape to break through and, and I think to get it's fair through. to say that's all the networks. <laughs> Probably, you know, being at home, I have less TVs to be watching all of the time uh, to to see all the all the stations every day. So I think that. Uh, it's been probably good for my mental health. But even still the rise of social media and digital and video contents to all the main networks platforms has also disseminated how people can consume news. And the rise of social media platforms trying to be in the news space, I think has affected how younger audiences um, get political news and governmental news and how we reach constituents. That Mm -hmm. in the New Dem space, our constituents are Some of them are watching Fox News all the time. Some of them are only reading BuzzFeed and taking BuzzFeed quizzes. So how do we reach both of those people with the same message and with the same um, policy goals that we have? It's going to be slightly different for all those spaces. For example, last Congress, when we were releasing our climate priorities, I think this is one space where, like many different topics, there was just an either or. There was no nuance within the policy conversation on climate because you were either for or against the Green New Deal. That was it, point blank. And that's all our members were getting asked about instead of being able to talk about, yes, climate change is an existential threat to the health, to the national security and economic prosperity of our planet. And some people in Congress are climate change deniers. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that distinction, first mm-hmm. of all. And then also let's talk about the actual policies that we can get interim, uh, actually passed in the House and get signed into law. Of course, that was difficult the last four years, but even still there were bipartisan ideas that we were trying to push forward. And it was difficult as a group of policy wonks to break through what didn't fit as neatly on a bumper sticker. It's harder to sort of convey concise and sticky messages that are to hashtag. And that's just the honest truth of <laughs> campaigning and messaging. That being said, we, we did our best to continue to have press events, to mm-hmm. have a lot of educational roundtables. And I do think that was really helpful. We did get out a lot of our ideas, I think, into the conversation in a really meaningful way and had a lot of our members highlighted, not just at the national level, but also at the local level, which was arguably more important 
when we're talking about coastal issues mm -hmm. and we have had so many natural disasters hitting many of our members' districts, it was really important for us to make sure that we were showing our leadership, even if there was partisan infighting that didn't allow us to accomplish all of those bill goals that we had. Right. So looking back in your time, um, is there anything you would have done differently? One of the biggest things that I learned through that experience and have learned through other experiences like this is it's important to get the experts on the line too. We promote our members' ideas and promote our members in the press, but it's also important for us to take a more holistic approach. Maybe it's not the communication staff that has to make every press phone call. Mm -hmm. I actually did a lot of off-the-record conversations with some of our policy experts, our legislative assistants and aides, to be able to explain in a more in-depth way to reporters before the press conference mm -hmm. what we were looking to advocate and what we were trying to do. It was clear that it a one and done press conference was not going to accomplish our lofty goals. And really we, even though we we're a coalition, we had to build a broader coalition full of stakeholders, full of experts that could also explain some of the policies they were advocating for within our broader set of priorities to actually convey what we can accomplish most reasonably to hit these bigger lofty goals. Even if they are pie in the sky or seemingly pie in the sky at the time, Mm -hmm. We can actually get incremental steps to make a substantive change in the long term. And it really took this holistic approach to bring people together, put people on the phone with press, yes, but also reach just an educational network of stakeholders and then do in-district events as well with experts in the field who could really reach people in a, a totally different way, whether it was a local meteorologist or a, a think tank expert at Brookings, there, there, were, there was a wide swath of people that we tapped into to really get out our ideas, but also connect with people mm -hmm. in a more meaningful way. Um, well, let me ask one follow-up question and then we'll take a break. Did, do you feel like you noticed any appreciable difference um, with the reporters who were, you were able to do these deeper dive educational conversations before, as you said, like the one and done press conference? Absolutely, especially beat reporters who are really in this space covering energy and environment news, people who work for more energy and environmental news outlets. I think mm -hmm. that was something that was really helpful. The Green New Deal headlines were transitioning into more, you know, this is what moderates are fighting for, or this is what we can talk about on the Paris Climate Accord. There, there were able to be more bite-sized pieces at the app, a bigger apple that seemed mm -hmm. like too much of a lofty goal at the outset of our rollout. And I think that that was really helpful. It's not just one event. It is many events that lead up to the longer term goal. And that's the perspective from a coalition that we can help provide member offices who might not have that same bird's eye view on the landscape of things. Great. Um, well, thank you. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll tackle Natasha's advice to other communicators. Every Friday, Hamilton Place Strategies founding partner, Tony Fratto, joins John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners for the HPS Macrocast, an in-depth look at the macroeconomic news driving the week. Check out the latest episode at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash podcast. We're back on Distilled DC, a miniseries from HPS Insights on communicating complexity. I'm here with Natasha Dabrowski, and we're about to get her advice for new and seasoned communicators alike. 
So first question. So what are some of the tools and tactics you've developed during your time heading up communications for the new DIMMs? And what are the most important ones for other communicators? The most important thing, if you are a communicator, especially in DC, but even in different areas, is to develop relationships with the reporters you're working with. I think that's the hardest thing to do because it comes with time and experience. And in an increasingly virtual world where people might not be able to grab coffee in person or grab a beer after work, it can be difficult to make that ask. But I think it's been hugely beneficial for me and it's been mutually beneficial for reporters that I've worked with as well. Best case scenario, you get a friend. Worst case scenario, you get a tidbit that you can use for your boss or for a future story. I think that's helpful. Follow people on Twitter, create a, a good online presence, whether it is on Twitter or some other network. I do think that that can be really helpful for information sharing and that relationship building is so important to do the pre-work for a member of Congress or for a broader organization that you're working for because you can really help get more information across in an off the record conversation or something on background besides just relying on on the record interviews. It takes pre-work. There's always homework to do and there's always extra conversations that uh, can be had to make sure that you're making uh, a deeper connection than just a, a top line story. I will say that that has been very helpful. In addition to that, it's important to think about your personal brand. And I think that that is something I continue to try to hone, not just the organization's brand that you're working for, but also developing what type of communications apparatus you want to work on. How do you want to convey yourself, not just in this job, but in future jobs and what mm -hmm. types of reporters or policy areas do you really want to hone in on? That is something as a coalition staffer, I have the benefit of, of dabbling into a lot of different areas, um, which can be a challenge for someone who wants to focus on one specific area. But for me, it's allowed me to know what I like and don't like and really talk with reporters across the spectrum and get a better sense of what uh, a future job or a future um, opportunity could hold. I think those are some of the key tips, but not just relationship building with reporters. It's also important to have good rapport with colleagues and with the experts that you want to put on the phone with reporters so that has been really helpful for me in my role in the coalition. We don't have a huge staff and we do have a robust staff when we can manage to get insights on certain policy issues, but we also have to rely on committee staff and individual member staff to not just work with us, but work in tandem to advance something outside of just the NUDEM label. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of groundwork. Right. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned building relationships when COVID first started, I kept putting it off thinking, oh, we'll reschedule this coffee in a few months. We'll reschedule this when it's all over. But now, you know, a year in, I finally realized, you know, hmm, should probably start doing these things virtually, even if it feels a little uncomfortable. Yes, it <laughs> is super uncomfortable at first, but you have to get over that to uh, make the ask and, and just follow through. Even if it's a phone call and not a video call, I think that that's still beneficial and helpful. And I've also gotten some fun baking recipes out of it too, which has helped me bide the time. We have an internal uh, company chat that's exclusively baking recipes during COVID. Um, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> what, so what's one piece of advice? And um, I know you touched on the relationship building, but is there a piece of advice that somebody gave you in your career that you think has been invaluable and you would pass on to somebody else? Yes. Don't 
just plan for your current job, plan for your job, not even right after, but two jobs away when you're looking at the broader landscape of your career. I think that was hugely beneficial when I was weighing uh, my path to the hill and then mm-hmm. weighing my path after whatever comes um, from new dem time. And I think that that's going to be really important for people to keep in mind when they're setting themselves up for hopefully success in policy, politics, or communications and any of those aspects. And the second piece of advice goes hand in hand, be nice to people because you would never know where where they'll end up or whether they will be on your team or your boss or at the think tank or uh, the next lobbyist that you have to work with. They're is a lot of transition in DC and especially on the Hill and with an incoming administration. So I think that that is also really important. And to job seekers, if you're looking to get into this field, I would say spend more time on coffees than cover letters. <laughs> no one likes reading cover letters. No one likes writing cover letters. It's an important and necessary part of the job, but it does not replace time that you can spend on coffees getting a better sense of what these different types of jobs are, what the day-to-day looks like pre and during and post COVID. Those are all things that you need to consider when making your own next step. And I think that that can really be valuable in giving you insight and also advocates to help get you across the finish line and to and through an interview process. Well, that is a perfect segue to the next question. Um, Have you had any mentors during your time in the New Dem Caucus? And how did you approach them to build that relationship and seek out advice? Well, being asked that by a mentor is quite the loaded (laughs) question. I'm very humbled to be, be asked that question by someone who I've looked up to and gotten so much guidance and advice from, not just as I was looking at getting onto Capitol Hill, but even through the somewhat tumultuous times working in, in policy and politics, when things looked bleak in the last four years, things looked bleak during COVID, uh, you've, been, you've been a very shining light in my life. So I really have to thank you for that personally. I will <laughs> well, also say- Thank you. I think you're overselling me though. <laughs> I, I will also say though, whether it's someone in your direct company at the time, or whether it's someone in a field that you respect, having a mentor is super important, but then turning that mentor into an advocate is even more important. Having someone to give you advice on your own path and also provide advice on how they've gotten to their current role is useful, but it's even more useful if you can turn them into someone who will write an email on your behalf or be a reference or review your cover letter or resume. I think that those are all really important asks that you need to make of someone at some point and to make sure that they can be in your court when you need it is going to be hugely important down the line. That might not happen right away. Don't come on too strong, <laughs> but develop that relationship and, and see if that, that mentor is someone who can turn into an advocate. Not every mentor will be an advocate, but I think that that is taking the mentorship to the, to the next level. And if you don't have a natural way to ask a, a former director or a supervisor to be your advocate or your mentor, there are some different programs that exist in DC that you could also be a part of. I'm on the board of the Women's Congressional Staff Association right now. And through that, I've been able to be involved with their their mentorship program every year and now help oversee some of the programming that we put on on Capitol Hill. It's a bipartisan group that aims to promote and uplift women staffers on the Hill. And 
still, even five years in this job, I ask for a mentor and a mentee because <laughs> I still think I have so much to learn. I also want to pass on any acquired knowledge that I've gotten, but also just find women in the field that can be comms champions and advocates for me and I can continue to learn from or bounce ideas off of because the Hill can sometimes feel like an isolated place. You don't always have a huge team to work with on the communications front, like you might mm -hmm. at a firm or a, at a company. So it can be really useful to just bounce ideas off of others and get a different fresh set of eyes on an idea that you're looking to pitch for your boss. That's great. So I know you love your current job and your current role, but if you had to choose another position um, of an individual or organization where you would serve as the lead communicator, who or what would it be and why? This is also a hard question because <laughs> I love my job. I will say it's no secret to anyone who knows me that I love playing and talking tennis. So if I could create a role that allowed me to travel to all, all four Grand Slams every year and <laughs> made me find the intersection of communications and tennis and, and sports and politics on a global scale, that would be the dream. I, I would call it, I suppose, the ambassador to tennis and have a communications apparatus as well. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm interested in all these different aspects and would love to marry one of my hobbies with my job. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if a college co football coach can be a senator, why not a tennis star? <laughs> yes, I wish that I could say my uh, dreams of being a professional tennis player is still alive, but I will happily uh, continue coaching and, and playing in D.C. Shameless plug for any Capitol Hill current or former staffers or any current or former administration officials who want to join the Capitol Hill Tennis Club. <laughs> Happy to be in touch. We're a great group. And uh, that being said, if, if there was a, a, while I wait for that dream job, I would love to continue a communications role in this space, whether it is working for a government agency or being able to work in an economic and trade space, um, advocating for policies, but also communicating policies and developing mm -hmm. a strategic message plan. That would also be great. Great. Um, I think one last quick question, or maybe one or two more quick questions. Um, what are your must reads? Um, what or who are your must reads every day? That is a great question. And it depends on the day and how much time I have. And <laughs> I used to have a commute, it was actually easier because then I had a, a longer time span to catch up on the, the daily news and read the morning newsletters. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorites are Playbook, Huddle, Daily 202, Morning Consult. And these are really bite-sized ways to not just get a national view of things, but also a bite-sized view on either a specific topic or a broader landscape on polling or state and local coverage as well. Those are just some of the things if we are focusing on a specific issue in a given week, then I will try to do more of a deep dive on um, specific uh, topics but or issues, but I think that those are some of my go-tos and I highly recommend them for any listeners out there. If you're looking for a quick bite at things on a commute or on your morning walk to coffee, I guess, if that's what you're doing <laughs> instead or while you're making your French press or whatever people are doing at home, that can be really helpful. And then taking time to not just read the newsletters, but once you sit at your desk or while you're still on your commute, actually clicking on and reading through the 
more long form pieces because that is still really important to get the full story. And I don't think that the newsletters, while still helpful, are a replacement for consuming full stories and full coverage mm -hmm. of news. Although I will put a plug in for Daily 202. That's one that you need the commute to finish all the way. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> all right. So I hope you knew this was coming, but congratulations. You recently got engaged. How are you guys celebrating? Thank you very much. We are so excited and I am so thrilled to have happy news to share in an otherwise tough time. It's been a very exciting time to share our uh, news with family and friends, at least via FaceTime while we can. So lots of FaceTimes, <laughs> lots of Zooms because we can't be together in person. I wish that I could say that we are renting a private jet and going to a private island with all of our closest <laughs> vaccinated friends uh, because we are also vaccinated. But until that happens, we are going to continue to celebrate virtually. We hope to maybe do a park meetup when it's safe. And as the weather is breaking, that will be possible, which is very exciting, but really just taking time to be with each other because we're together all the time anyway, <laughs> has been really, has been really exciting. Well, what a great, what a great way to end the podcast. So thank you everyone for tuning in to D Distilled in DC, a mini series from HPS Insights. And a special thank you to our guest today, Natasha Dabrowski. You can find out more about Hamilton Place Strategies work in our podcast at www.hamiltonplacestrategies.com or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your guest host, Stratton Curtin. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights, and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com. <laughs>